Friends, welcome to the Wild at Heart podcast here in the week of December 7th, the second week of Advent. And I'm delighted to have Bo Snyders with me here in the studio this week. Morgan, Sherry, welcome. Thank you, John. Glad to be here. Stacy was supposed to be with us. It was supposed to be a double date, mm. but my dear Stace is climbing out of a cold and doesn't have quite the voice this morning that we were looking for. So it'll be the three of us. But this it's not week. COVID. It's so. not. No, yeah, yeah. And you can't get it through a podcast. So everybody <laughs> rest assured. That's good. Cher, I know that Advent is something that you treasure and love each year. And I'm curious why. Like, what's that about? Johnny would say Advent has its roots in God's early wooing of me, um, fighting for my heart, introducing me to the sacred romance in a semi-liturgical Protestant church that I went to. So everything about it, the, the candles, the wreath, the yes. um, consistency of it from a little, you know, we we would have a children's sermon and we would gather on the chancel steps and a kiddo would take a turn lighting and we'd sing the Advent song. So it's rooted in God's early romance of my heart. But um, I had a commitment to Jesus through a really a conversion in college where I I really responded personally and decided to follow the way of Christ and give my heart to Him. So it obviously, as things in our lives do, it has taken on so many new layers of meaning. And then becoming baptized into the message of Wild at Heart and this heart of this beautiful King that we're waiting to come, who mm. has come, mm. who is coming, who will come again. So to me, it connects me to the ancient of our faith and this ancient feast and fast preceding the feast of Christmas. But it also connects me deeply to our fellowship around the globe and and to our fellowship here at Wild at Heart locally because of our love for the King, our desire for Him to return, yes. and our cry for the yes. advent of Christ. Yes. So it's very uh, general. Love how it connects me to Christendom through the millennia, but then I love how it connects us specifically to our allies out there mm-hmm. who I say hello to. So we remember that you know uh, it's the the Latin word for the arrival or to come, Adventus, and this, you know, Christ has come, Christ is coming, Christ will come again. So we're celebrating his advent. We're in, um, you know, first century ancient world. We're on look for his advent in this moment and we're waiting for his ultimate advent. So that's, that's what advent is for me right now. It's one of the reasons I love O Come, O Come, Mm. Emmanuel, right? Because the longing, the waiting, and to rehearse that for four weeks, right? We don't rehearse a lot of waiting in this culture. That's well said. And I love it for that reason as well. The expectation, the looking forward to, it just kind of feels like it does good things for my soul in a world where I can get anything else that I want Thanks, Amazon Prime tomorrow. <laughs> right? <laughs> totally. I mean, like, we had a- delivered a, uh, ordered us a mattress, and within like less than 18 hours, this like a huge mattress thing <laughs> in a box. Like, this How is, does that happen? How terrible. does that happen? I, I, don't under- I don't really understand. <laughs> okay, so here's my great regret at the beginning of the pandemic. I will confess. Okay. Why didn't I invest in cardboard? <laughs> oh. The right. number of boxes, boxes. <laughs> that have come to our right. house alone. Oh, I yeah. confess. Right, right? Because I'm empty nesters. I'm recycling <laughs> boxes 
Because of Amazon, because of, yeah, the delivery. Anyway, we don't wait much, and it's good to wait. And we are excited to share two weeks of sort of an Advent-type podcast with you all. But I want to take a moment before we jump into that to just remind all our friends out there that we are a crowdfunded ministry and mission, and we carry on because of the support of our listeners and followers. And I just thought here in Advent, it might be a good time. We don't say that much Mm -hmm. on the podcast, but once in a while, it's helpful to just let you know. We sure appreciate your help. And if you would like to support us, you can now do that straight on our app, and you can also do it on our website at wildatheart.org slash give. So December 7th is also Pearl Harbor Day a day which will live in infamy. Right. Uh, Your uh, other career in radio theater. You know what? I missed that. You (laughs) You could get that back. That was really good. December 7th, 1941, (laughs) a day that will live in infamy. Oh, it's too good. (laughs) It is just too good. It's appropriate, though, somehow, to what we want to talk about, friends, because there is an assault in our current hour. And the three of us have been reflecting on it, and our our team has been reflecting on it. There is an assault on hope in the world right now. And a friend of mine, I was chatting with a friend from the UK recently, and he was describing a train trip in which the train had to stop twice because two different people had taken their life on the train, on a single ride. And, you know, they needed to stop operations and, of course, and, you know, take care of such a tragedy. But it was a reminder. We were, And so he and I were also riffing mm-hmm. on, wow, there is this crisis of hope mm. in the world right now. Are you seeing it? Yeah, John, I've been spending time connecting with allies of ours in different regions. And in preparation for this podcast, I was I was just reflecting on how that manifests just by anecdotes. So Australia was with an ally, a mate, yesterday on a call, and he was saying that they have effectively lived in the New South Wales region with no transmission of COVID at this point. Like there, there is nearly zero transmission of COVID. They have solved the equation by total lockdown. And I told him, oh, well, we had COVID, my son had COVID, you know, and he, and he was shocked. He said, you had COVID? I don't know anyone that had COVID. Are you okay? And I said, oh yeah, we're doing fine. And what he was describing was a culture of fear. So it was successful. There is no COVID in New South Wales. But there is so much fear and so much shutdown. There's just a atrophy and just a paralysis. Well, it's right? been brutal on the economy. Oh, been br- absolutely have, brutal. We have friends down there who have shut down their companies. Right. And all of the government subsidies come March, April, there's just no more left. You know, they, they kind of went full tilt and it, it, it's gone. So there's a culture of fear and uncertainty. And then some allies in South Africa I was talking to, and they were describing that their economy right before the pandemic was in dire straits. It was it was one of their lowest points in their history as a nation. And then COVID hit. Whereas the US, our economy was booming and their mail system is shut down and just the um, the corruption in the government. So to be a people that are under a government 
that not only is in a pandemic, but in economic chaos and corruption. And then finally, the third anecdote was an elderly uh, lady, Sherry and I, you know, we were spending time with a gal that was reflecting on her community. It's 60s and over, and she was describing most of her friends have not left their home since April. And, and she was describing that the husbands will walk the dogs. But literally, her friends, these other women, haven't left their home. And so they were just examples of the condition at which people find themselves, yes. the isolation, the the lack of belief that things are going to get better. It um, it, It's pretty brutal out there. Are you seeing it, Cher, this hopelessness thing? I see it manifested in two, two particular ways. As one is the way that the... Um, this pandemic is hitting particular segments of the population harder than others. And for example, I have a, a friend who is a single mom. She's trying to go to school to earn her degree so that she can provide for her kids. There is no husband anywhere. You know, she is the sole provider. The daycare is closed down. They live in a right. small apartment. Her kids are there. I mean, there's just, and when I talk with her, I feel the helplessness of, I have no words. I have nothing to say for what the crush of what she's in. So I see it in in the particular segments of society that are for whom, you know, this is uniquely crushing. Mm-hmm. Not to mention different people groups that are more more affected in our country by the virus. And then additionally in youth suicide, yeah. unfortunately, that continues to be yes. touch our community and touch our friends and so I think there's this economic and very real vivid crushing on people of the constriction of their circumstances um, that's very particular to people's stories and then concentrated in certain segments of the population. And then there's this um, swath of hopelessness among young people, um, and not just young people, but the young people that we know Mm -hmm. that seems particularly grave and has been grave for years, but Mm -hmm. I'm seeing it again. Right, because we weren't all doing great before 2020, mm-hmm. and, and more on that in a minute, but worn down, a little beat up, and then you have the quarantines and the economic slam and the tensions and the politics and all that of this year. It's been hard um, on the human race. And and I think people, I think we all kind of muscled through the first round. Right, there was right? rallying for yeah, a while. Yeah, we did. We kind of rallied. Mm-hmm. People were like, we can do this. And lots of people were doing beautiful things. Our friend Jared was doing, you know, live worship every mm-hmm. night during the pandemic and things like that, during the quarantines, right? There was a rally. But now the second round, I, I just think it feels like a sucker punch mm-hmm. to people. And at Christmas time, and I'm already hearing friends talk about, well, there goes Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not getting over to see my folks. And etc. And, you know, we, because our county here in Colorado is locked down again, mm-hmm. we're not having the Ransomed Heart Christmas party for the first time in 20 years. Mm-hmm. And it's a really sacred and wonderful thing for us, and we'll miss that. It's not a huge deal, right. but it's just an example of just all these loss, mm-hmm. all these losses right. through the year, and now people are locked down again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oof. Yeah, the one of the realities I've noticed, we're connected with a lot of counselors. And so they see the front lines and, and counselors are overrun 
you know, they're just the, the um, number of severe situations and then the domestic abuse. And we have a lot of people in that system um, of social uh, welfare and and it's it's pretty brutal. And and so, and even you know, just another anecdote. So we were grabbing some Christmas decorations, just kind of moving forward with, you know, choosing joy, choosing life. And in the storage room, I found the yearbook for the kids from last year. And I just opened it up and I, and I perused through it and I realized like so much of it were things that don't exist this year. And I handed it to my son and said, Joshua, what percentage of this book, open it up, is not happening this year? And he said, Dad, 95%. Clubs. I mean, it was the clubs. Sports. It was the sports, right? It was activities. It was, and and it's all gone. And so it was just a fresh reminder of it's it's really affecting, um, you know, Sherry, I said, I appreciate what you said, different people in different ways, but it is, it is uh, globally affecting everybody mm-hmm. in very unique ways. Friends, <laughs> we're not introducing this to add further hopelessness to you. I I quickly want to read from Romans 15, which is one of the passages that I've been in recently. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm really grateful for that last part mm, because this isn't right. about, okay, everybody, you know, exactly. let, let's all buck up again. Yeah. We can rally one more time. Yeah. You know, we can Work we hard. can get through this together. No, not helpful. The power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, thank you, God. I need your assistance, Lord. Mm-hmm. I need your help. Mm-hmm. I need an internal strength that you give me so that I can overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit of God who lives within me. So that's where we're headed, gang. I just want to, I want to hold out that promise totally t- to you don't all. Don't turn it off. Yeah. Yeah. Debbie Downer here. <laughs> yeah. we, we are very concerned about the fight for hope. Uh, and I think I've mentioned in a couple of places, I think the battle is going to be for hope and belief in the next six months. I think that's going to be the main battle in the world is for hope and for mm. belief. And more on why I think that later. But I just want to quote that Romans passage because the power of the Holy Spirit is available to all of us, whether we're locked down or still able to get in-class learning, mm-hmm. you know, wh- whether we know what Christmas is going to look like this year and we've got some joy or now we don't know. Like the power of the Holy Spirit is available to us, whatever our situation, and to strengthen us and to give us hope, mm-hmm. to restore our hope. I've been aware of this as a counselor, as someone very concerned about humanity. I've been watching this for a while, and I don't like it. Like, I'm a fighter. I'm like, whoa, we got to do something about this. And I found myself wondering, how, how did we get here? It's not just a pandemic. It's not just quarantines. What happened? Because I feel set up. I feel set up for this. And as I, I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on this, because I, as I began to reflect on that, I'm like, okay, I wrote Get Your Life Back mm-hmm. prior to all of this. So, you know, when you publish a book, you know, it came out in February of 2020, which was the remarkable kindness of God yes. to his people because it's rescue and it's care and it's, you know, but I didn't write it, you know, in January. I, 
I wrote it a year mm -hmm. before, and then it takes a long time to get it out and all this thing. I was already watching the wearying of the human race by the pace of life and by media, mm -hmm. just too much media and technology. And I was kind of looking at all of these things. Nicholas Carr's book, The Shallows, right? which he almost won the Pulitzer for, the subtitle is what the internet is doing to our brains mm -hmm. and the fragmentation of our attention. And all that was already going on, right? Mm -hmm. I was very concerned about, wow, we have lost a way of life that strengthens the soul. And I personally feel pretty empty, Yes, right? I feel like I don't have much in my reserves. And you're the kind of person that is very committed right. to restoration, to life, to the spiritual things, right? Yeah, like yeah. It's and what I, you do. I know. And, <laughs> and, and I, I, I want to be careful not to extrapolate too much of my own personal experience, but I am someone who takes very serious care of their life with God yes. and the condition of their soul, and I was fried. And I'm like, yeah, Zooks. If I'm fried? Okay, so that was prior to this year. And then the other thing is I was reflecting on how do we get set up for this was the comfort culture. Hmm. Now, you're nodding your head, so I want to hear what, what, why does that resonate with you, Cher? Oh, goodness. So get your life back and this idea of my soul thinning and the fragmentation of my attention. And similar to, to you, I take that really seriously and practicing. Right. You know, and and I, I was even telling Morgan, it's actually worse now than it was two years ago. I can actually tell even I'm still degrading in my, I mean, I'm having to work twice as hard to train my attention and my affections. Mm -hmm. Okay. Again, I just have to say pause. Friends, you're listening to a couple, the Snyders, who take this very seriously. Well, sure, so like, that's what humbling. you do for a living, right? right? Is is helping people train in the habit of attention. Like, let's just be honest. It's a part of your vocation. And so I, the, uh, you and I, I hadn't heard this. So you feel like you're still degrading. It feels I like mean, it's still. I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I, I have. Oh, I watch her do it. Bears <laughs> <laughs> witness okay. to my degradation. Right. Wait. I mean, I mean, I, I should say I, I, I feel like Jesus rescues me and yes. rescues me again, and then I'll, I'll go a couple weeks with. I've had, if, if I drift, like if I am not like aligned, I drift. I can't believe how quickly I drift at my attention. Yes. So um, I'm humbled by that. When John, my nodding, when you were talking about the culture of comfort is, I feel like what the father has been saying to me and he's been saying it to me with the kindest eyes is that I have grown soft and as I read the New Testament and and then, for example, there's a book by Bruce Longnecker, Lost Letters of Pergamum and mm -hmm. The Martyrdom of Antipas and just trying to understand what most human civilizations have been like for most humans and then our level of luxury. And I just feel like the Father said that I I actually, um, there's some, some stamina that he's wanting to rebuild in me in navigating the ebb and flow of circumstantial security. You know, I'm, I'm only six months into this, but I had told Morgan, I really felt like Father said to me, I am being trained to not expect this level of luxury or convenience to be here next week. Like, I, 
starting with the beginning of the pandemic, the word I had from the father was that I needed to actually shift my expectations of the future. As Americans, we're the wealthiest country. We have more, for those of us who benefit from the wealth of our country, we're so, we're, we're ridiculously, luxuriously wealthy. The but if seats this, in my pickup <laughs> right, truck exactly. have but totally. air conditioning. So now, I didn't said, want that. You couldn't buy a truck couldn't without it. it. I couldn't right? buy a truck <laughs> without it. But I guess the point of what I'm trying to say oh is a goodness. father said, I want you to change your... And I, do you remember talking yes. about this oh, on our yes. porch? And I said, Morgan, I'm actually... Father's asking me to not assume that we're going to have this house, that we're going... I mean, this sounds extreme. I'm, I, I'm not an extreme person, but just not assume that I'm always going to have any of this opulence. Yes. And to... So that means I actually have to train my expectations. So I'm in a nine months into what I imagine will be the rest of my earthly life or until Christ returns. And I felt he said, you need to unyoke your sense of my goodness coming through security in your culture and your society. You need to wake up from my naivete and be prepared to have my a revelation of the goodness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit the hope that we're talking about on this um, podcast that will become, you know, as as you pointed out to us years ago in the book, uh, letter to the Hebrews, this anchor for my soul. And um, but it very specific with detaching yes. from uh, luxury and the expectation of comfort. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the very thing that God was up to with the pandemic. Now I'm not saying God, you know, set COVID loose on the world or anything like that. But when this was throwing everybody off kilter, and we were all reeling back in the spring of 2020. And I was asking the Father, what are you up to, Jesus? What is taking place in the world, Lord? And one of the things he said was, I'm sifting. I'm sifting. And I am exposing divided allegiances. And I'm like, guilty, 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 because of the comfort culture. Yes. Yeah, John, the other aspect of that as you kind of explore that, how did we get here, right, kind of being set up? Like, I think over two decades ago, you had posed this idea from the prophet Isaiah 4419, where no one stops to think. No one stops to understand the times. And so in kind of my secret life, one of my pet passions is to be curious about the times. What What is the era of humanity in which we find ourselves. Like there weren't air conditioned car seats for the last generation. And 400 years ago, Native Americans occupied much of what we call home today, where we live, right? Like it's it's pretty staggering to think about these ideas. Like, in other words, this isn't normal as humanity goes. Right. This is our normal. And one of the ideas I, I do think set us up David Brooks coins it the big me and in his book, Road to Character. But in the comfort, and I would add convenience, we have adopted a worldview that's me-centric. And you hear it in the self-help culture, in the self-actualization of, you know, discover your bliss and find your path and it there be the best you be the best you whatever that is you find your expression it's me 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 right it's self actualization self discovery self initiation but the problem is we weren't designed to be self centric we were 
born, like Dallas Willard says, is into a God-breathed world, a God-initiated world. And, and we find ourselves in that reality. And so I do think there has been a fundamental shift on the earth that we start with me and try to understand life rather than what, what I would name is a culture of curiosity. And that was a big piece, Sherry, just like your initiation, God has really been inviting me over the last couple of years to pause and get very curious to let my walk with him sink in, settle into a space of God. You exist. You're the center. And I want to be curious. Who am I to you? Where is my place in your story? Yep. What are you up to? And it's just this fundamental shift that is simply not um, present in the primary culture in which we find ourselves. I, I am the frog in the kettle. I am. I The comfort culture, making everything, frankly, just very easy, yep. it does not produce hardy souls. It doesn't. And then wearing us down with the hypertechnology and the pace of life and all that, so, friends, this is all compassion. Mm -hmm. We were set up mm -hmm. for this moment. Jen, I have a question, though. Um, I I notice, and in, in talking to some of our allies, that there's a our message of at Wild at Heart. If your heart matters, how do you take care of your heart? Beauty, you know. There's there's a way that part of that deep core of Wild at Heart can contribute perhaps, to becoming not hardy souls. And I just would love if we could speak to that a little bit because it seems like a possible misapplication, misapplication of our message. Oh, and, yes. and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and then mm -hmm. how, you, how you find that in your own heart as you live out. My heart matters to God, but I'm not in Eden restored. I'm in a world at war. And how do you normalize perhaps the war more than trying to necessarily recreate your small e eating. Right? Maximize your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you do, it's very, very... And I've been accused of that. And sometimes my books in secular bookstores, there used to be a thing called bookstores, and they were these places you could go <laughs> where there, there actually were books, <laughs> real books, like printed on pages. And people actually used to read books. Yeah, and they would be on shelves. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. My books would be put in the in the self-help section. And I just hated that. Mm. I just loathed that because the irony was this. We do believe the gospel project is a project of restoration. I'm deeply, utterly convinced of that. I have come to restore your humanity. In fact, one of my favorite readings, um, this is a side riff, during Advent season is Athanasius's little uh, booklet on the incarnation. So if you want a really great short read on the incarnation, that book is phenomenal. And he says, Christ took on humanity in order to restore ours. We believe that 100%. That can sound very me-centered until you enter into the project and you suddenly realize that among the first steps of that is total surrender mm. to Christ and discipleship to Christ. And you suddenly find yourself going, wow, People are very confused, I think particularly guys who come in through the Wild at Heart message, and then they get deeper kind of into this organization and our our library, mm -hmm. and they're like, holy cow, where's, where's like, you know, chainsaws and blowing stuff up and right. motorcycle races? And what happened was this. We wanted to see humanity restored 
as we got deeper in that project, we realized that a whole realm of discipleship to Jesus is necessary to get that done. Yeah. Okay. So, friends, back to hope. This thing of being set up, I want to add one more to that because now I'm very concerned of what I'm hearing people say. And the thing that's coming out of so many people's mouths around me, grocery stores, you know, things like that, is, oh, I just want this year to be over, or I can't wait for this year to be over. And something in me, my heart just breaks. I go, oh, dear friends, your hope is literally set in the turning of the calendar. Like, you are more set up for hopelessness now. So that's why this podcast, mm. and, and we're going to... We're not going to be able to get it all said uh, this week, so we're going to come back in the third week of Advent because two podcasts are going to let us kind of loop back mm -hmm. around and go deeper into some of these things. But right now, you two, how are you fighting for hope? What are you personally doing internally and with your family and towards your friends? Like, how? how, how? Let's, let's just offer some mm -hmm. help here at this point. I think, John, as soon as I talk about hope, in some ways, it can feel ethereal. Like, for me, it has to be concrete. And, and one of the kind of definitions, the naming that a friend had given me years back is hope is the anticipation and expectation of good things to come. And for me, that's very concrete. I like that. Right? I'm anticipating and I'm expecting good things to come. And so then it gets very practical and pragmatic of where am I putting my hope? Is it in the next hunting trip? Is it in um, the, the next calendar year? And one of the exercises that's really helpful to me is to simply remember. Remember what God has done. And this year, and it was in, probably in the pandemic time, interestingly enough, as I adopted a, a spiritual practice, for example, there's hugely helpful. For over a decade, every day when I wake up, the very first thing I, I do is I declare just in my soul, God, you're my father and I'm your son. So I invite you to father me today. It's what I can do every day in my power. But I added this second practice and I just, and I'm talking like 60 seconds, right? Low bar. But I pause and say, God, what did you do yesterday? Remind my soul yes. what you did where you demonstrated you're a good father. And so this morning, um, woke up and I went back and, and we had some beautiful, sacred, supernatural moments with each of our children yesterday that God intervened. And I, I woke up actually feeling hope without thinking about hope, only because I remembered. And how quick we are to forget, right? The comfort culture, the instant next thing, it's gone. It's gone. And so practicing, remembering, and another piece is like once no, in a no, while. No, I don't want you to go past that because okay. that is so rich okay. and so practical. Yeah. This, friends, this is one good use of your phone. Yep. On your phone is actually a record of the goodness of God, mm. and it's in your photos. That's exactly what I was going to say. That's okay. literally it. Okay, that's... so here's Holy Spirit. Tell me. Orchestrating, the, so orchestrating the podcast. So last night, I am exhausted. I All I want to do is eat sugar and drink alcohol. I'm aware that my soul is crying for attention. Park myself on the couch for a moment, whip out my phone, and I... Went back to last year, okay, so there's a, there's a, you know, 
It's been a rough year, folks. Um, went back to last year and was looking at some photos from a trip we took mm. where the goodness of God, because it wasn't, it wasn't in the pandemic and it wasn't in all the chaos. It was removed from that, but not so far removed as to be ancient history. It was last year. Oh, my gosh. Just to look at photos and go, you're so good. You have been good to me. Yes. And like that, that was the rescue. You have been good to me. And I just lingered. I was just yep. flipping through my photos on my phone. Yep. This is who you are. This is who you have been. This is who you say you are. And so I can expect and anticipate goodness to come from you. There's something that you and Brent John wrote in the Sacred Romance about waking up every morning as a practicing agnostic. And that idea of we really have to, I have to root myself in the larger story. So for me, what is helping me so much in not having me be offended by like hard times is to remember where we are in the story. And because of the luxury of the segment of population that I'm a part of, it's, I think, easy to forget that we are still in act three. We are not yet at the restoration of all things. And so for me, I have a picture of creation as it was intended of Eden. And then I have a picture um, of our moment now. And then I have a picture anticipating the restoration of all things. My picture- This of, is in your mind? This or? is printed out. Oh, really? Yeah. And in my in my sacred space, which is like, sort of- semi Literally like tacked up on the wall. Yeah. And put in, I put it in like sheet protectors, which I'm like new to the world of sheet protectors. <laughs> and now I'm like, I want to put everything in a sheet protector. <laughs> Including your children. Cute. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, the, it's a, the first is a, a river, beautiful river with these, it's a multi-ethnic group of children playing in this river and it's, it's Eden. And right. I love it because it's, it's, it's all the human race, this crying cry that we have for, for unity and for brotherhood across, you know, all ethnic lines, all the, like every, every one of us united as, as brethren. So it's children playing. And then my, my, photo or my picture, my image of our moment now is it's a, a child alone on a, um, like a raft, maybe somewhere in India on a river that's completely polluted. And when I remember that's where we're at and I'm fighting where I've been polluted by my culture, where I've been polluted by where corruption has set in inside of me, my, my personal sin, our collective sin, the, Satan and his culture of death. I mean, when I just locate myself as, so any moment of goodness is amazing if you have the context of a, this river that's decayed and in mm. death. Mm. And then, you know, this hope of Eden restored. And What's the I, third picture? Everyone's dying to know. Yeah, well, it's another river. It's a river, it's a completely restored river and families playing mm. in this river. It's adults and it's children and it's multi-generation and we're playing in the, effectively playing in the river of life. And, and for me, this, this practice, and when I gather with a group of women, to I hold up these photos and I say, the first thing we do is locate ourselves in the story. And when I can normalize that Jesus, you know, he's inaugurated his kingdom, but is not yet in full, we are fighting a kingdom of death. We are in a world at war. Then, then all of a sudden, I'm like, I, I just, it changes my expectations, yes. you guys, for this world. Yes. And, and it's been, you know, I, I guess I'm really feeling he's asking me to... to be grateful for any moment of beauty. But if I go 
I mean, God willing, you know, he will bring in me this patient endurance, this long suffering that that I see the apostles crying out to be formed in the people that we would grow up with this patient endurance because I I want to be someone who has a much higher tolerance for yes. all kinds of uncertainty and disruption because of some revelation. And back to, you said, the Holy Spirit giving me a revelation. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I think we can use Advent for this, friends. I really do. Um, we're going to come back next week with some more hope and some more help in, in the battle for hope. I think we can use Advent for this fight for hope. And I've asked Sherry to read from Isaiah chapter 9, which is this incredible declaration of the coming of Christ. This often gets read somewhere in the liturgy mm-hmm. of the Advent season. But just to listen to the expectation and then the accomplishment mm-hmm. of what Christ mm-hmm. has won for us. Would you read that? Sure. From the scroll of Isaiah chapter 9, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his kingdom and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And he did. Through the life, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, He has broken the rod of our oppressor, including the oppression of hopelessness that's rampaging in the world. So let's be kind. We just recognize we're all a little worn down Mm -hmm. and our tanks are not exactly full. And now there's lockdowns again and, you know, all the stuff that's going on. But we can battle against hopelessness. We can choose, I reject this. No to hopelessness, to even just recognize, wait a second, it's not just me to hear us talk about it on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Wait, you guys too? Oh, hang on. Something else is going on here. December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day, right? Yes, we live in a world at war. We can win this fight against hopelessness if we'll see it for what it is. And pray, very simply, pray Romans 15, 13, that the God of all hope would strengthen us and that we would overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit of God within us. We're going to come back with part two on this, but we just had to get there today 
and we'll see you in the week of the 14th.